Today on Giasa's Quarren Streams, a podcast featuring Tiggs Cunningham, event manager and organizer of ScaledCon, and Chloe Mascheter, writer, game designer, and co-producer of Adventurers Wanted. Hi everyone! My name is Vivek Santayana, and as you've probably seen, our outgoing and incoming presidents, Emily and Robin, have been live on our Facebook page for the last couple of weeks. We thought it'd be a good idea for us to create some online content every week to foster a sense of community during this time of quarantine, as a way of making us feel more connected through a time of physical distancing. Now, as always, we hope everyone is looking after themselves and the people around them, and we hope you're washing your hands regularly and all of that jazz. Today, I'm bringing to you a podcast featuring two special guests that is all about gaming remotely, how we go about setting this up, what challenges we might face, and what opportunities gaming remotely presents that are unique to it and different from gaming in real space. So I had a video call with two very familiar faces in Edinburgh's role-playing scene, Tiggs Cunningham and Chloe Mascheter, and I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with them. For those of us who love role-playing, social distancing has meant that we've had to take all of our games online, whether this is by Zoom or Discord or Skype or whatever else. For instance... I tend to use Discord for voice chat and text stuff if what I'm doing doesn't involve screen sharing. If, for instance, I'm playing the same online game as everyone else, like Terraforming Mars on Steam or whatever, it'll be spin up Discord, chat to my friends via that. But WebEx is probably my favourite online tool, partly because I'm comfortable with the security of it. That was Tiggs Cunningham event manager, writer, gamer, and the co-director of Compulsion Underworld back in 2016. She had recently organized ScaledCon, an online tabletop role-playing convention using Cisco WebEx meetings. I chatted to Tiggs about hosting games online and the various tools that we'd need to do so. For Tiggs, this really isn't very different from what we do normally. So in terms of tools, a lot of the tools I use for Online games are exactly the same as the ones I'd use for physical games. For maps, Dungeon Painter, GIMP, um, create them in advance, share them. It's like online, I'll share them via Google Drive rather than have them printed out. Um, Dice, I quite like rolls. Rolls is free. You can do any kind of dice combination. Everyone can see the results in that particular room and it doesn't use up much bandwidth. I also, for things that I would normally have printed out, like letters or coded messages, other sort of bits of paraphernalia, I'll print them to PDF, which is an option of a lot of text and image editors. And that's really useful for sharing either in advance via Google Drive or at the, at the, the gaming table effectively via the screen sharing function in WebEx or whatever video conferencing you're using. Before we even get to the video conferencing, one thing I find really astonishing is the stuff you said, you just that, you know, these are tools that you use for in-person gaming as well, like Dungeon Painter or Rolls. A lot of this isn't really anything new or different, is it? No, a lot of it's just combining things. So Rolls I don't use in person, um, but I do use it on online games. I have used it in person on that day when everyone has managed to forget their dice bag. Uh, but no, everything is pretty much stuff that we used in person. For instance, OneNote, 
I've used OneNote for years to GM games. I can keep a copy of character sheets that I can keep up to date and keep an at-glance stats list. Um, I use a Microsoft Surface for GMing. So that means that I can sketch ad hoc maps or mark positions on the PDF pre-drawn maps. And in a, an in-person game, I'd flip that down so that people could see that on the table. In an online game, all I do is screen share that page. And also you mentioned Google Docs and shared Google Drives. Uh, one yeah. thing that struck me about when you said you have a Microsoft Surface and you've used EndNote, a lot of these are you know expensive bits of kit or require subscription, but others like Google Drive, that's just free. You don't need to pay for it. Mm -hmm. OneNote's free as well. There is a free version of OneNote that you don't need to pay for either. Of course, the real biggie is finding a video conferencing software that's robust enough for you to host your game. This is especially topical now given the recent scandal involving Zoom video conferencing and their breaches of privacy and data security. Tiggs and I had a brief chat about our preferred video conferencing software, and I asked Tiggs to tell me a little bit more about Cisco WebEx, the platform that she used to host ScaledCon. It's a Cisco Systems bit of kit. I like their stuff. I get no money from Cisco Systems, by the way, make that clear. But yeah, it's got screen sharing. Um, Skype's also got a free to use thing where you don't need to log on to do larger video conferences now. It's up to its game and I've been having a play with that. Um, there is some indication it might have a lower bandwidth requirement. If bandwidth is a problem, you switch off video. One thing that I've tried using is Jitsi, which is an open source, encrypted, distributed kind of video conferencing service. And it's um, your mileage may vary on that because the public Jitsi server tends to have a lot of people using it, but it is open source. So you can set up your own server. And Ooh. I've set up my own Jitsi server that I'm running a game on uh, this weekend. I don't know how well it'll work because it's a very cheap virtual private server that I've got that has one CPU and one gig of RAM. So I don't know if it'll handle six people at once, but it's a fun experiment and we'll see if it works. Yeah, keep me posted. Sure. So running a game online is a lot like running a game in real space. The only difference is you're meeting via a video conferencing app rather than meeting in person. I'm going to link in the description to all the tools that Tiggs and I have talked about so that you can try using them yourself if you're hosting your own game online. But obviously, it's not all the same. There are still some very specific differences and challenges that we might face while running a game online. This is what Tiggs had to say about it. So one of the main challenges other than bandwidth is keeping a read on the room. Mm -hmm. Keeping a read that everyone's still engaged and comfortable. Yeah. I rely on a lot on nonverbal communication. I know some people don't rely on it. Mm -hmm. I do. That's where I strongly encourage my players to use the IM channel in WebEx or the, a Discord DM to let me know if there's anything that they're uncomfortable with. Yeah. Sort of as almost like a digital equivalent of doing the T card or the X card, whichever system you like to use. Yeah. It's a whole, you can just go X card in a DM to the GM and no one else has to know. No one else has to know that you have had an issue with that. The GM just goes, hang on, there has been an X card. We'll, we're going to, or they don't even need to, to say that. They can just move things away from from that topic. I mean, this is definitely a, um, a thing which, you know, we have to think about whether we're gaming digitally or in person. I know that I have tended to em emphasize that the T card is on the table, but I also make it a point to get lines and veils from all the players privately at the start of the 
campaign. So yep. in the middle, it doesn't fall on my players to then have to say, right, T-card, I'm not comfortable with this. But I can step in and say, no, I'm not comfortable with this to give my players the anonymity. And with the private messaging feature on any of these online services, I think that's one thing you can get. You can get that mm-hmm. anonymity as well. And I also keep my phone on the table. So if any of my players text me, I see the message and I T-card it or whatever while playing in person. And you're right, yeah. using these chat systems might be one way of implementing similar safety tools. Um, do you find it difficult to recreate the kind of space that you get in in-person gaming? Or is it just a completely different endeavor entirely? It's a different vibe. Um, It's a much more intense vibe. And I actually find that a shorter session works better. So rather than, for instance, maybe a four-hour game session, plan for a three-hour game session. That's a very good point. Because you don't get as much of the the filler, the banter between players Mm -hmm. about non-game related stuff during the game because people are using a tool that they have to either push to talk or toggle off mute. So there's less temptation to go off topic. It's easier to bring it back onto topic as a GM. If you're hosting the meeting You can, and someone's blathering on about something, it's, it's quite easy to go, oi, you're blathering, keep it up be on mute for a while and there's also something that really focuses people's attention in the way the software works as well by emphasizing the person who's speaking front and center and by uh, automatically adjusting noise levels so the person who's speaking gets more of the sort of mic time and i hadn't thought of this before Mm -hmm. so it it actually takes up less player time and less Mm -hmm. gm time so it's got the benefit that people who maybe couldn't commit to a four-hour session plus commute or even commit to a four-hour session, they can commit to a three-hour session. So this got me thinking. Could there actually be some positives to gaming online? I asked Tiggs. Well, location. Location doesn't matter. It's location agnostic. The only thing that matters is availability during time zones. For instance, um, one of my GMs at ScaledCon, um, Lion, is actually from Minnesota. He's one of my friends. I've known him for years. I don't get to see him very often, but he offered to GM a game slot and he wouldn't have been able to do that at a physical event that I was running unless he happened to be in the same country by chance. But he got to GM across the Atlantic. It also allows players to see more details in maps, etc. because they can make them as big as they need to. So it has potential to help people with visual impairments immerse themselves into the the hobby more. Um, There's so many possibilities and they're only limited by your creativity. And we're role players. Creativity is the soul and center of us. Do you have a friend who lives far away whom you've always wanted to game with but never got the chance? Why not get in touch with them and play online? In the latter half of this podcast, I get in touch with one of my friends for a brief chat. But in the meantime, if you're interested in more gaming, I asked Tiggs to tell me more about ScaledCon, her online gaming convention. Well, quite simply, ScaledCon was born out of compulsion. Um, Back in planning for Underworld, I'd put together a small plan of how to take the convention online if there was a problem with the venue. I had an absolutely horrendous nightmare um, about three months out from the event. My nightmare was that two day, it was two days before the convention and TV had burned down. Oh boy. 
I woke up in the morning and went, right, how do I deal with that? And it was just a very quick jotted down plan for how to move it online, if needed. Uh, but then fast forward to 2020, um, I work for a small obscure branch of the Scottish government called CivTech. And we had our demo day coming up when it looked like COVID-19 was going to cause problems. So as one of the sort of means of events types people there, I created contingency plans for how to take it to a smaller closed online event if need be. Then it became clear that Compulsion wasn't going to be able to go ahead. Um, I offered to take it online, um, which wasn't taken up by the committee. It's unfortunate, as a lot of people put a lot of work in, in but understandable. They didn't know what plans I'd already made and felt that three weeks was too short a time to make necessary changes. That's completely fine. Um, they were really supportive with publicity and emailing out to GMs, etc., for which I'm exceptionally grateful. I, ScaledCon would not have been anywhere near the success it was without that support. But yeah, as I said, Scalecom was born out of compulsion and I know how many people, including me, rely on it as an annual opportunity to catch up with people, some people who I only ever meet there. We're having a mini convention on the 2nd of May. We're going to run many events. We're not going to host charity auction or talks and panels, or well, probably not talks and panels. Um, but we're going to do it as a monthly gaming event with two role-playing slots and as much board gaming as you can handle um, every month. Next one will be on the 2nd of May and this will continue for as long as quarantine does. There you go folks, a monthly online gaming mini convention starting the 2nd of May. For more information, look up ScaledCon, links to which are in the description. You're listening to the first episode of Gias's Quarant Streams podcast, where we're talking about playing remotely. Up next, I talk to a game designer about making games that are specifically built to be played on Zoom. Now, as Tiggs had said, running a game online is very similar to running a game in person, but it nevertheless has a very different vibe. I was curious, how then does this different vibe affect the very structure and mechanics of the games themselves? I asked an expert. The, the specific game that uh, you've helped playtest so far that's still kind of being written up that I'm designing that is specifically for remote play. I was really interested in the idea of acknowledging the fact that people are communicating using mics, using cameras, and what you can do if things are happening like off screen or if things only happen when someone's camera is off or when someone's mic is off. And I really wanted to play with the fact that you can mute your mics, you can turn your camera off, you can have different levels of how much you can see and interact with people and playing with that as a mechanic. Some of you might recognize that voice as Chloe Mascheter, writer, game designer and performer and co-producer of Adventurers Wanted, a theater company who in the last couple of years have been performing a D&D based show at the Edinburgh Fringe. I asked Chloe what tools she has in mind for remote play when she designs her games, and how these tools affect the games themselves. So largely I've been focusing on, on Zoom as what I use most, as what I'm most familiar with. I have been involved in like mega games and game design that's used a lot of stuff like Tabletopia. Um, however, the most of the stuff that I make myself is very uh, roleplay game rather than board game, for instance. And so 
a lot of it's just actually been thinking about using Zoom because uh, I'd like to try and design stuff that's rules light-ish, character-led, um, and therefore it's more about just having the people face-to-face rather than having certain materials digitally available in front of them. Um, so there's certain tools that I'll just give like a shout out to because I've just discovered them and I think they're great, like Storium, which I think you can find at storium.com, which is another way of doing kind of interactive narrative online. Um, and what I've seen of it is really cool. Um, but yes, I've mainly been focusing on games that are run and played over video conferencing means like Zoom. Um, and it very much started from that point of what do I find an interesting mechanic that you can do just in Zoom or just in video conferencing software. And then from that, extrapolating the actual the setting of the game and what's happening in it, um, which currently roughly is that everyone is part of a kind of sci-fi special ops unit on board a derelict trying to find an unknown entity that is on that ship. Um, however, you never actually see the entity. You never directly hear them. It's only if someone loses both their mic and their camera that they have any direct contact with it. As before, you can find links to the tools that we discuss in the description, as well as the Itch.io website where Chloe posts her games. The primary tool that Chloe is designing games for is Zoom. As I mentioned before, Zoom has attracted some scandal regarding its record on data security and user privacy. Chloe and I had a brief chat about how, as users of Zoom, we can ensure our own safety whilst playing games. I'm far from a cybersecurity expert. Um, a, lot of, a lot of what I know about kind of digital tools and stuff is very much self-taught. However, in terms of what we do and things like that, um, some of it is just very standard steps of looking at what security options and settings you currently have on your Zoom. Um, because as much as, like, I don't want to say, I'm not praising Zoom highly for this, but one of the things that's been an upshot of the increased focus on them has meant that certain features have been either removed or added or responses have been made. Um, and therefore, I think it is valuable to check out your security settings, seeing what you have, whether you, people have to be in a waiting room, whether screen share is only available to the host of the meeting, that kind of thing. Um, because part of that will protect you from certain aspects of things like Zoom bombing, um, or at least make it harder and put a lot more steps in the way. Uh, to be honest, I think I probably treat it um, how I treat using VPNs, which is I'm not pretending that I am the hardest person in the world to, to hack, but I at least don't want to be the easiest person in the room. Obviously, some people's concern with Zoom is things like being recorded. Um, um, I think it's kind of safe to go. If you're using Zoom, assume you're being recorded. I know that's not a comfort, but in terms of just how you approach it as a tool and how you use it, that's just the safest thing to assume. So really, it's it's assuming that it is making sure you're checking your security settings so that people have to go through various steps. They have to use passwords. They have to be in a waiting room. They can't share their screen with you, etc. All those steps to go in. Beyond that, it's just a case of having to try and keep up as much as you can with anything new that comes up, keeping yourself aware and educated as to what new concerns are being raised, what new tools are being introduced, what new software is out there in order to try and protect yourselves. So that's how we can keep ourselves safe whilst using tools like Zoom. Of course, gaming online isn't just about using video conferencing software. 
As you'd probably recall from my discussion with Tiggs, one of the challenges to gaming online is reading the room and ensuring game safety. This is especially topical in recent weeks following a scandal involving Roleplay's Far Verona stream. So content advisory, the next bit has a brief mention of a representation of a sexual assault. If you want to skip this bit, go forward 10 seconds. Adam Koble, the GM and the co-creator of Dungeon World, drew criticism for his depiction of a sexual assault of a player character before abruptly ending the stream with no opportunity to debrief from it. Chloe and I had a brief chat about game safety, not as a comment on Adam Koble or Far Verona, but as a reflection on how Chloe's company, Adventurers Wanted, implement game safety given the constraints of online interaction. I want to kind of caveat what I'm about to say with a few things. I've seen the relevant elements of Far Verona. Um, I've not seen anything else that those people have done. I've not even seen that whole episode. So I'm informed on that to a degree in a sense. Um, and what I'm going to talk about is very much how myself and how others at Adventurers Wanted preserve safety in our games. Uh, because I want to focus on that. I don't want anything that I'm saying to be taken as direct comments about others. So I just kind of wanted to to make that clear. So I think the biggest thing for me is right from the very offset. And this this isn't even like when you start playing the game. This is when you're getting people involved to play a game. This is when you've made the Facebook group or whatever that you communicate everything to everyone. You need to establish that everyone has the agency to stop play, to voice their concerns, and everyone has the absolute right to a game in which they feel safe. And that right is not superseded by someone else's concept of fun. So for me, it's 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 about establishing a certain environment where it's very clear that using a pause card is fine. It's very clear that interjecting, say, can we draw a line under that or can we draw a veil over that is absolutely fine. There's also other stuff that you can do, which is preemptively checking in with people. Um, when I've been running more longer campaigns and such, like, uh, for instance, for Eberron Terminus, which is kind of a four-party D&D campaign, I had conversations with each of the players there going over potential triggers. We talked about what subjects are likely to come up in the game, what subjects aren't likely to come up um, so that people know like there's no concern about XYZ happening. A lot of it is conversation based and making sure that that conversation is open right from the top. A lot of it is regularly checking in with people. So checking in at the end of each session. And whilst, whilst postcards are wonderful, uh, lines and veils that we use are also great. The, like you need to be proactively, preemptively talking to people about what they're comfortable with, what their boundaries are, what, what they're expecting of a game. And the thing is, nothing that I've said is that wildly different for the fact that it's remote. Um, obviously, certain things take a slightly different form, like everyone having their own pause card to lift up and put against the camera and things like that. Um, and additionally, I don't, I don't think necessarily reading a room um, is always harder online. Obviously, there's going to be slight differences there, but as long as you still have a good look at individuals' faces, I think lo looking at some instances that have been raised in recent weeks, you, if you watch them back, you can see that actually it's quite clear that people are visually uncomfortable. Um, being able to recognise that isn't hindered by the fact that it's remote. Also, I think actually something that's useful is um, more frequent breaks because what I can see remote play resulting in is because it can be kind of more exhausting 
and sometimes more of an active effort to engage with people because you're engaging that different way. Take more regular breaks so that your brain's definitely awake and present with people while you're playing. For Chloe, reading the room and managing people is no more difficult online than it is in real space. There are just some subtle differences in the way we approach this. The important things are to ensure that everyone has the agency to stop the game and raise concerns, and that we take more frequent breaks so that we can all be actively engaged. Of course, this gets tricky when the game itself has mechanics that might disconnect us from each other by cutting off our video or audio. I asked Chloe how we ensure safety in such games. I think first off, um, there are certain like principles that I put down at the top of games. Um, for instance, uh, everyone using pause cards, which means everyone writes pause on a piece of paper so they've got their own personal card. And then we use pause cards just as you would in a typical tabletop game and making clear at the very start, like if someone's mic is muted, if someone's camera is off, using a pause card or needing to communicate anything important about their safety, their enjoyment of the game always outranks that element of the game. Um, and so when people need to communicate with each other, that mechanic is abandoned for that period because otherwise you can't be totally safe. You can't know that everyone's got the agency to communicate with each other when it's absolutely necessary in terms of their safety and enjoyment and comfort. So Chloe and I talked about the various challenges to playing online. But as a game designer, she had some rather interesting insights about the various opportunities that online and remote play present to us. I think what's interesting and what I'm finding really exciting right now, because I'm obviously working on remotely play tabletop games, but I'm also working with some people from the kind of immersive theatre, escape room style world on how do you translate that kind of stuff into um, a digital remote play format. And what's becoming apparent there is just like the amount of fun you can have with different things. Like imagine sending someone a folder and that is their game. Um, but that folder has, it has videos, it has links to Twine games in it that you've set up online, it has documents, it has photos, it has uh, all sorts of different bits and pieces that you can interact with in loads of different ways. And what's fun is actually finding out, okay, what makes sense in terms of different means of using digital stuff. Um, there's also just like the simple, something that I've actually really enjoyed is the simple fun of the fact that people are obviously in their homes and can present a very specific image over a camera. So like in another playtest of another game, one of the ca characters was in like the spaceship's biodome and just suddenly like had grabbed two pot plants and was like hiding it amongst them and stuff like that. Just that kind of the weird dressing up at home, um, the virtual backgrounds people have, all that kind of stuff is quite, fun and something i've forgotten as well as um because i've ended up becoming the live editor of a uh comedy werewolf stream um so it's, it used to be a live game of werewolf played by comedians and now it's done online and something that's been really fun with that is i've designed all of the specialist overlays so that you know everyone looks like portraits on the wall of some kind of old worldy cabin and whenever someone dies like the late appears above their name or whenever someone's revealed to be a werewolf there's like kind of red paint smears going werewolf over their picture um and that's been an interesting thing as well of thinking how to adapt stuff like that for that kind of very particular digital formatting yeah i i, I mean i as much as i love it obviously I'm excited for when it's possible to play face-to-face -face with people again. Um, though it has meant that I've played, like, 
I've, I've played with you, I've played with Oz, I've played with loads of people who I actually wouldn't have played with if I was still just doing in-person games. And that has actually been a really lovely thing of seeing a lot of people um, who are in totally different parts of the world to me and getting to play with some people again after quite a long time. You know, when I said that there can be no Edinburgh Fringe without you, I never quite meant it this literally. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird feeling. Hopefully not entirely my fault. Of course, there is no Fringe this year, which means, unfortunately, Adventurers Wanted will not be coming back to Edinburgh this summer. Instead, Chloe tells us about a new live stream that they're starting. So yes, by the time that this goes out, um, I think we'll be like one episode deep, um, but it's a, a four-parter D&D adventure set in Eberron that I am DMing and we've got five awesome players who are part of that campaign. Um, and it's uh, it's just, it's, it's really fun to write and to do because it's kind of action movie inspired. So it's, I don't think it's huge spoilers to say it's about a, a special ops group who are working in Eberron and fundamentally what they need to do hot off the heels of um, a recent mission. They have to catch up with a runaway train that has potentially a cult and also potentially a um, captured ally and some very powerful dragon shards on it. And they need to catch up with this runaway train. So obviously the only way to do that is to charter an airship, to go in a straight line, catch up with this fast train, somehow get onto this train. And so it's going to be a lot of kind of action movie vibes of fights on trains, leaping from airships onto moving trains, big explosions, very kind of like high octane um, action-y vibes. Yeah, and so that's that's on uh, 6pm to 9pm BST every Monday at twitch.tv forward slash adventures wanted and twitch.tv forward slash dnd um, for the next kind of, well, I guess when this goes out for the next three weeks. So there you have it. Not only is there a monthly online mini gaming convention you can go to, there's also a new live stream you can watch if you're interested. More details of that in the description. And that's it for the first episode of the Quarren Streams podcast. My thanks to my guests for this episode, Takes Cunningham and Chloe Mashiter. The music on this podcast was Wholesome and Deliberate Thought by Kevin McLeod. Details and attribution in the description, along with links to all the tools and resources that we've talked about. You can get in touch with us via email at gias.committee at gmail.com or via the Gias Facebook page, Discord, or at Gias Edinburgh on Twitter. My name is Vivek Santayana. I am at Vivek Santayana on Twitter. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Quarantine Streams, where quarantine is about the friends we make along the way. Thank you.